fans, and welcome back to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today, we are talking about Volume 8, Episode 6, Midnight. So as the clock strikes, we ask you to go ahead and step into our humble abode as we get this show started. Let me introduce my fantastic co-host. Joining me is the wonderful Katie Cullen. Not a sound from the pavement. <laughs> I have to. It's it's. I learned that song in like sixth grade, and now you start with midnight, and my brain is just immediately cats. Let's go. See, this episode reminded me of a musical, but specifically Les Misérables with <laughs> Castle on a Cloud uh, playing in my head perpetually. Also, you know, of course, the classic Cinderella, um, the Disney Cinderella. I've had no joke. I've had Cinderella, Cinderella. <laughs> my head all week but also joining us is the lovely stacy shuttleworth hello hello i can't say i was likening this episode to cats but now i am (laughs) i regret nothing (laughs) now i didn't need nearly as much booze to get through this episode as i did needing to get through cats that's just that's just a personal thing though i'm sorry i'm talking like stage musical which i have witnessed in person and it is wonderful Get out of here with that movie. <laughs> I'm not comparing Ruby to that movie. Ruby has much better acting, animation, all, everything. Just everything. 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 And the only thing Ruby is missing is Idris Elba, okay? And I'm sure that we can figure that out at some point down the line. Let's make it happen. One day, one day. And normally we would also be joined by the fabulous Mark B. Donica, but sadly scheduling uh, this week, sadly it didn't allow us to all get together, all four of us. We've mentioned in previous episodes that the holiday schedule for us is going to be absolutely wild and that there are going to be days where not all of us can get together to record and this week Mark's schedule did not allow him to join us so it's gonna be a little wild uh throughout the holidays but uh yeah we're gonna do our best and so even though Mark can't join us tonight we wish him well and uh you know he'll be back as soon as his schedule allows for it so again thank you for your patience guys we really appreciate it be sure to go to Twitter and send him all of your love Turns out midnight was not a good time for him. Wow. Boo. (laughs) Boo. Yes, 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 yes. So before we get the ball rolling on tonight's discussion, we wanted to put a content warning at the beginning of things to let you guys know this episode will be going into discussions of abuse and specifically child abuse. And, you know, if you've watched the episode, you know we're going to cover it in depth So if that is a problem, you can either skip to the end, half hour or so, or you can skip this episode entirely and join us again next week for the mid-season finale. But guys, Mark not being here, I had a proposal for you ladies. I propose that since Mark's not here, we do this week's show from the Love Loft and have ourselves a slumber party where we can braid each other's hair and talk about boys and stay up all night watching movies and stuff. I'll make the hot toddy. You realize this episode was a tragedy, right? (laughs) (laughs) But slumber party. When is it just the three of us? (laughs) I'll go. I'll go. Just... You realize this episode was a tragedy, right? 
Luke will be surrounded by comfort and love while being very upset about the buffers. <laughs> Legit. The other thing I want to do before we go up there is I want to go down to the conspiracy corner and you see it's just covered in red, which is great. Red's a good color, but I'm just going to open up this skein of green yarn and I'm just going to weave it through there because guys, we need a little Christmas. Aww. We just do. So I'm just going to decorate the conspiracy corner real fast and uh, yeah, Mark can worry about what the green means when he gets back. <laughs> <laughs> I've made him an activity. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. He, has something to do now. <laughs> he can he can start up a conspiracy theory about who altered the conspiracy theory board. Like I didn't just admit it on air. <laughs> I'm like Mark's know. not already busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Mark. <laughs> all right and yeah i i definitely might like tiptoe back down to the conspiracy corner later on in the show uh just in case anybody have like if this happens to be your first episode of ruby redux first of all hi welcome to the show second of all you might be confused by the metafiction of our podcast in which the metafiction is that we record inside of a giant house together and that house has ever-changing geometry and is just wildly inconsistent all around the fantasy present here is that we're millennials who own a house <laughs> that really is the truly fantastical part it is it really is all right now i've made this tragedy about my life uh, we should probably so ladies slumber party i will make the popcorn i make very good popcorn <laughs> so now that we are all nestled in the love loft, we've I've got my pajamas on. I am ready for this fun slumber party at, to use it as a coping mechanism to deal with the sorrow in Ruby that we are being basically perpetually faced with every single episode this volume. So let's go ahead and dig into it. What did we think of this week's episode? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. All right, I have I have two very differing thoughts that keep popping into my head about this episode um the first one is oh my god that whale is a work of art that's the most <laughs> beautiful thing i've ever seen watching it just rise above atlas and seeing the sheer magnitude and scale of it just is one of the most breathtaking things i've seen in ruby <laughs> and i'm obsessed with it salem has been pimping her ride for a while now man she's got some style you cannot deny it <laughs> Monstra sure. is just majestic, isn't oh, she? Flawless. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that constantly in my head. And then the other hand, I feel this episode feels to me like playing a video game and going up against a boss and fighting them over and over again and not really understanding their move sets and kind of still being perplexed by how they operate. To where you finally give up and you go and look up the walkthrough online and there in just a couple of sentences, everything is clear and this this moveset is now like opened up before you and you understand a whole lot more about what's about to happen. So Cinder for Dark Souls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I'm getting at. Actually, really like that comparison because it's it's one of those things where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This thing, it's constantly dunking on me, and then you look up the walkthrough and you're like, Oh, 
that explains everything. <laughs> I understand now. The background music is a waltz. It's not in 4-4 time and it moves with the waltz. That's why. No, seriously. I cannot remember the name of this Dark Souls boss, but I will still make jokes about it. And I've traumatized <laughs> half our listeners, I'm sure, just having flashbacks to whatever. Just had to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a beautiful comparison. Oh, yeah. Katie, what did you think? I like that we finally got backstory. I like that they saved it until now because there's nothing more fulfilling than being able to go like, okay, why do you do this? And just kind of shaking a character and hoping the backstory will fall out. And then when it finally does, you can sit there and you can pick up all the little pieces and slot them into the behavior and into the thought processes and go, okay, like we knew the Cinderella style backstory going in, we did not know the specifics. And this is the point where I eat my words about the whole, oh, Cinder doesn't have the training. I guess she does have at least some of the training. She just, yeah, uh, my point still stands. But this, I feel like this episode, we had two aborted turning points and then we had an actual turning point. We had two points in this episode where we could have had characters do a heel turn and then... Salem just changed the direction of the conversation or changed the flow of things. And, you know, she's had a bazillion years to figure out how people work, so she's good at this. And then we had the actual, oh God, oh God, Old Faithful is evil moment. And that was, uh, that was a problem. This was a beautiful episode. I was still picking things up the third, was this the third or the fourth time third. we watched it? The third time we watched it. I was picking up things. I was picking up musical motifs, which is not something I usually pick up on until someone else points it out to me. So, yeah, this was a masterclass. I I had to concur with both of those assessments. I very much enjoyed this episode. It's not every day we get a villain flashback episode where we get an explanation for how and why a character is the way that they are. I think the last time, and maybe I'm mistaken because I can't remember what I did last week, let alone what happened last volume, but I believe the last time we got a villain origin story was uh, with Salem herself back in volume six. And so it's, and it, you know, Cinder has actually been around for longer than that. So I think it's very interesting that we got the motivation and the backstory for the big bad before we did for Cinder herself. And what I what I really like about villain origin stories a lot of times is that it provides an explanation without providing an excuse. This like it it explains everything about cinder and why she is the way she is and why she values power above all else um without it ever actually excusing the the terrible things that she's done and i i really appreciate that in a villain origin story where it's uh to quote what katie usually says like all the time cool motive still murder um, so it was cool getting this development and seeing how her past inform informs her present and seeing that, as you mentioned, Katie, you know, there, there are some turning points in this episode. This, I think, is a potential turning point for Cinder herself as well from a character standpoint. Um, 
So I, I can't help but wonder if this whole episode isn't meant to be kind of a crossroads for her. Maybe she doesn't have to continue wandering down the path that she's wandering down. But I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, a redemption arc is in Cinder's is in Cinder's future, but I could definitely see it at the very, very least being a turning point in terms of her allegiance with Salem. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, overall fantastic episode. This was fun. So to quote my other podcast, let's start with the flashback. (laughs) So as we've been touching on, this is Cinder's backstory episode. We see her, um, at an orphanage and you know her her life there is very lonely and even though there are other people there she doesn't seem to get along with anybody until the day she gets adopted by a very wealthy hotel owner only known as the madam and she's taken from this small orphanage which kind of looks like it's out in the middle of nowhere um at least i think it's an orphanage who knows (laughs) I have a lot of questions about social services of Remnant in this particular episode. Um, But she's adopted by this wealthy hotel owner, and she is basically put into, you know, it's the Cinderella story. She is basically put into a position of servitude to this woman and her um, her, her two daughters, her, you know, Cinderella's evil stepsisters. So we get to see her life uh, working in this hotel. Uh, what did we think about, you know, upon learning about this as Cinder's backstory? Katie, you look like you you have some thoughts on this particular plot point. I did, and then they went away. <laughs> because I just kept thinking about that one scene where the, the stepsisters walk up with mud on their shoes and they're the whole, you missed a spot thing. And I'm like, where did you find that in the middle of the city? And why are you, and, and I know, I know. It's one of those little tiny things to stick on. But for me, that is just the crystallization of everything wrong here. Not wrong from a storytelling standpoint, just wrong with Cinder's life. Just yikes, yikes, and also yikes. The, I I have a lot more to say once Rhodes comes into the picture, but for the most part, it's she. This woman bought a child and punished the child in public with a shock collar because that whole that thing happened more than once in the lobby, and nobody said a goddamn thing. You kind of gotta worry about the state of things here. Yeah, I mean, we know that social stratification seems to be a big problem in Remnant, but man, it's it's a little different seeing like seeing it firsthand instead of just sort of being a background element of the plot. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of rough. Stacy, what did you think? Yeah, this this was an establishment that had a no faunus sign up in its lobby. This is right. Not, oh my god! Right? This is the, the kind of people that frequent this establishment with that sign in plain sight are probably not the most morally upstanding, you know, out there to actually help and do what's right kind of people. So 
so I think that gives us the setting that Cinder is is put into. Um, as you know, as far as the Cinderella story, this was kind of this was the story that I more or less expected. I think this these were the the given variables of sale of um, Cinder's story, the the pieces that we could expect to to happen, uh, but seeing them played out so brutally was certainly <laughs> a lot harsher than than we had anticipated. Yeah, we all know the basic beats of you know the Cinderella story. It's it's a it's a tale as old as time. Uh, we we've seen it. That's a different Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's Blake's backstory. No, the um, the uh, yeah, this is a story that we've seen time and time again. And so when it comes to Cinderella in particular, I think audiences are always looking for kind of variations on the story that we're familiar with because we've seen it so many times. And I think that this, this is one of those and, and Ruby characters when it comes to their fairy tale counterparts, aren't always a one-to-one comparison. I think this is one of those cases where it very, very closely mirrors the the character of the original source material but i also think there's still enough in there that it stands on its own as its own thing um one of the gosh i think one of my favorite things about the way this particular um these plot points kind of unfolded i really did appreciate the song that we got that little musical number i know we were making musical jokes earlier but I really did like this song. It was very reminiscent of the uh, 50s Disney movie. But at the same time, it was so harsh and mean-spirited. It, so it's really cool that it can be evocative of the different media that has come before it, while also still being its own thing. Uh, what did you think of the song? Uh, let's start with Katie. That was a very good way to do a montage. Yeah. It was unexpected, but in the best way. Like like you said, it's it was a good thing to have. I really did appreciate that. And I like that it came back around. And this was the bit that I was noticing later on when we have when we have the the scene in the council room <laughs> and Cinder is getting essentially tortured again, shot collared again. If you listen the choir in the music that's playing at that point, because they've got that really creepy vocal thing going on, follows the same melody line as this song. Mm. And it's just like, oh, 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 God. And then I had to back it up and listen through again to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. I love when Ruby makes uh, musical callbacks. Stacy, what did you think of the song? I think it was a really powerful way to tie together all of their different references and all of their different inspirations uh, and bring it into this absolutely haunting melody uh, that overlaid, yeah, such horrible moments throughout her life and just showing the absolute brutality of it. So with that music comparison, almost, you know, at first very soft and like, I, it was achingly haunting. That is really, <laughs> I think, all I have to say about it. 
uh, it made a powerful statement. Yeah, especially because most songs in Ruby are like total bops. Like you've got the electric guitar going and even every now and then it gets very soft spoken and and as you said, kind of haunting. Um, this one's haunting from the get go. It's oh, yeah. Um, like, ugh, yeah, it's just it's real. I'm really glad we're in the love loft right now. I've got a hot toddy. <laughs> just I never thought I hugging be- a pillow. Uh, no, no, but I could. I can hug one. I'm okay, now I'm surrounding myself with pillows. I'm just going to disappear beneath them by the end of the episode. It's fine. Hey, we could build a pillow fort when we're up here. We'll just feed the mic down into your pillow abyss. <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> That'll be great. I'll go get more popcorn. Needs more popcorn. But yeah, and it's just, it's the fact that it's punctuated um, before we. I, I don't know if the song that plays later on during the fight scene, I don't know if that's a, the continuation of this song or if it's just a completely different song. But the fact that this portion of it is punctuated, no one's ever loved you um, as she crashes to the ground. It's just it. It's brutal. I never thought I'd feel sorry for Cinder, but I feel sorry for Cinder. <laughs> Well, and this flashback is also where we get the origin of the without you, I am nothing line. Like, oh, oh, what kind of horrible, I was going to say, what kind of horrifying human being do you have to be to make someone parrot that back to you? But that would be the same kind of horrifying human being who uh, purchases a child, uses her for slave labor, and tortures her. That kind of person. Answered my own question. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) right there in the text for all to see glad we could get to the bottom of that mystery um (laughs) i do i do want to ask though since you bring that up katie um the without you i'm nothing is something that cinder says repeatedly during her interactions with salem in particular this season so i wanted to ask you guys is this something that Salem has made her parrot back to her in the same way that the Madame did? Or is this something that Cinder is using as sort of a, as sort of a way to trick Salem, you know, in her own way, trick, quote unquote, Salem into thinking she's being subservient? Because as, I mean, as we saw within the flashback that, she cinder doesn't think that she is nothing she knows that she is everything in her own mind so i wanted to ask what does she actually mean when she tells salem without you i'm nothing is she being sincere or is it a ploy let's go ahead and start with stacy i think it's part of her mantra i think that's part of her reminder to herself that she knows that she is not just you know a servant that she is not subservient and i i feel like save salem having some insight into her childhood and where this phrase might have come from cinder would have been the one to introduce it to salem um salem probably reacted fairly positively to it or thought it was sincere at the time just hey i like the sound of that <laughs> right salem was probably like yeah that's right and cinder was like oh this will work <laughs> You bet your ass. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I think that is a very 
personals tied to Cinder saying, and I definitely don't think it is sincere. Katie, what do you think? I think this is part of Cinder being caught in the cycle of abuse. Oh. I think, you know, she killed her abuser. And then she somehow, at some point, we don't have this part of the story, fell in with someone who gives her kindness, gives her power, but as we see with the parallels later on in this episode, treats her in a very similar way. And then we also see Cinder lashing out at Emerald and Mercury. Not quite as bad because she's not quite as powerful, but it's a similar idea. I don't, th- and, and we have the line that running is all you'll ever do. I think she's caught in the cycle of abuse. I don't think she sees it. Oh. So this is just, uh, and I might not be using that term correctly, but yeah, essentially she has traded one controlling abuser for another, thinking that she's traded up. And maybe she has, but she she's still subservient to a controlling abuser. Yeah. I oh, go ahead. Sometimes she thinks that she is in control more than she actually is. I think she's very yeah. mistaken in that, but I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thinks is way. the operative word in that mm-hmm. sentence. I wish I had gotten my hot toddy refilled before you <laughs> before I heard that because now it's empty and I've got nothing left. Oh. <laughs> you realize you can always make another one and just edit out the quiet part. <laughs> There's no time. <laughs> There's plenty of time. They don't see the edits. Hi, audience. We love you. Oh, no. We've broken through the fourth wall again. That's twice as too many times for this podcast. Have we ever had a fourth wall? We're metafiction, not actual fiction. <laughs> Do we need to build one? Add it to no. the house? You need... I think it's removable. You need four walls for a house, guys. You ever you had sure? a dollhouse? <laughs> Are we toys? <laughs> no, if the plot I, twist is that we're all in hereditary, I'm out. I'm sorry, guys. I can't. Oh, Jesus. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, you want to talk about a cycle? Uh, anyway, we're not going to talk about hereditary on this podcast because um, we're talking about a different abort, tragedy. Abort! <laughs> we're talking about a different tragedy. We're talking about Cinder. Okay. Can we talk so, about her erstwhile prince who really wasn't a prince at all? Yes. <laughs> you, you brought up uh, Rhodes a little earlier. And sure enough, this very swanky hotel, which if it wasn't run by a terrible, terrible person, I would totally love to just hang out at that hotel lounge because it looks dope. Um, I would love to hang out at that hotel bar. But uh, it seems to be... Uh, like this very swanky hotel seems to be kind of a hot spot for huntsmen who are coming and going in and out of town as they go on missions. And one of those huntsmen who seems to be a regular in these parts is a man named Rhodes. And he, I guess it doesn't really take a detective to see how not great of a situation Cinder was in. Like, this guy was just a random bystander in the hotel. And yeah, he came in frequently, but the abuse was blatant enough that he took notice. 
and he took action uh, because one day Cinder chooses to steal um, a sword from one of the huntsmen staying there with the intention of running away. It's his. Is it not his? He was showing off his sword and then my sword's gone. W- wasn't it heavily implied that it was his sword she stole? You know, it might have been. I I watched this episode three times and I genuinely don't know because the person who's like, hey, my sword is gone was off screen. I'm sure it was his, but I can't say for certain. And I don't have time to go back and rewatch the episode again. Stacy, tie break it for us. No, that was the impression I got as well. I thought, yeah, it was kind of shown him showing off his sword and being all flashy. And I assumed that was the one that had gone missing and Cinder had. I think that's fair. Um, uh, just because my brain isn't present at the moment, that doesn't mean it wasn't his sword. That means I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) What I do know is that the sword he gives her later on, no joke, guys, you want to know what it's called? Her metal swords are called Midnight. The Because this is something like way back from way earlier volumes. She has, she had glass versions of them. Um, but yeah, when like in earlier volumes, her metal, the metal versions of her weapon were called Midnight. So this is the origin of her metal weapons. Well, holy shit. Ooh. <laughs> Isn't that nifty? Comes yeah. around. Anyway, so yeah, she steals his sword. He stops her. Um, and they get into an altercation because she's determined to leave he convinces her not to one. I really like his semblance. I love that. He's basically Colossus. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, he basically, he, he takes the time to go. Okay. Um, well that, that actually makes my impression of him a little bit worse because the only way I thought maybe he chose to get involved because he saw that she was suffering, but no, he chose to get involved because she stole from him. Okay, yeah, that changes my that changes my parameters on him a little bit. Colossus is better. <laughs> so yeah, Rhodes. He like when he stops her from stealing his stuff uh, and basically offers to train her um, until she's old enough to take the huntsman exam, and he becomes what appears to be a lifelong friend and mentor to her throughout the years. Until the situation escalates after he gives her her, a weapon. What did we think of Rhodes and his introduction into her life? Let's go ahead and start with Katie, since you you insisted you had thoughts on this guy. (laughs) I mean, on first watch through, on first impressions, like, oh, okay, he's a good guy. He's helping her out. He's going to be kind of a weird little, like, friend, father figure, whatever, whatever. And then you take a step back. And you think about the fact that this guy knew that there was a child in slavery conditions and he thought that it was super a-okay to leave her in these horrifying conditions for seven years. Like, you, you get, I keep thinking of this post I saw and we're, we're going to mention Harry Potter for a moment here. So there is that about someone saying that they disliked Dumbledore from day one, from page one. And when asked why, responded with, there is no reason to ever leave a child in an abusive situation. And then you kind of sit back and you look at this and you go, 
And that's what Rhodes did for years. Might not have been the full seven years. We don't we don't know at, how old she was when all this shit went down. But he he thought it was okay to train her, but not okay to attempt to get her help. Mr. Don't Ruin the Bar over here, taking it to extremes. So yeah, he he was a good person to her, only in so much as it didn't inconvenience him. And then the second it was, oh, this is bad. Oh, this escalated. Oh, there are consequences. There wasn't any attempt to help her. It was just, well, time to fight. Got to bring you in now. Like, he's, he's... He's not a horrifying person. He's not really a great human being either. You know, he's also a regular at the Antiphonus bar. So, mm. yeah, maybe like he's a good guy, but you know, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. And even though he did something, he didn't do nearly as much as he could have. I don't know. Stacy, what did you think of this guy? I had kind of the same arc of realization as Katie uh, just <laughs> described. It was like, oh, cool. This kind of mentor figure that, you know, really is an upstanding guy. And then you get further along and you realize more and more about the hotel and the situation that he's in. Yeah, the kind of place he frequents, first of all. And the idea, to me, it kind of evolved into a, huh, so this guy sees a 10-year-old girl basically in slavery, suffering, being abused, and he gets to show up every so often and play hero and be the good guy and train her and keep assuring her that, no, no, no just, just a couple more years, a couple more years. You just have to stick this out for seven years and it'll be fine. You don't tell a child that. This, this is not actually helpful to Cinder. And I don't, I know maybe he doesn't have a ton of power to extract her from the situation. But if you are, you know, the kind of huntsman that we have seen throughout Ruby, the kind of huntsman that Team Ruby and Team Junior are aspiring to be. Those are the kinds of people who wouldn't sit around and just, you know, train a child in secret while still letting her stay in an abusive situation. I'm remembering Tweedledee and Tweedledum that we had at the beginning of season six who were hired to protect the train and were just kind of there. <laughs> like, that's kind of what I'm thinking of here with Rose, mm -hmm. as we're seeing a little more of this class of huntsmen who are, I like to fight and I'm in it for the money. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, was it Bertilac vibes? I got <laughs> a lot of. <laughs> I Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, upon a first watch, I thought this person was a better person than, as you guys said, he actually turned out to be. Because, you know, upon a, a couple rewatches, yeah, it becomes very apparent that, like, yeah, he, he seemed more interested in playing a hero or, you know, getting to, to be celebrated as a hero than actually doing something heroic. Like, 
getting this girl out of her abusive situation would have been a heroic thing to do. And it's, it, it makes me wonder um, it, whether or not he was a huntsman of some notoriety because every time during that montage, we see him come in and out of the hotel. There are always people waving him off or greeting him there. And granted, it might just be because that's like their friend group of huntsmen who just kind of frequent this place um, on the regs. But, you know, it also made me, again, there was enough there to make me go, okay, like this guy is well, at least in this town, he's well known and even celebrated to a degree. But there wasn't in it enough for him to actually do more. And this is one of those things where it makes me, it makes me wonder more about the social, this is such a weird thing to say about a fictitious world, but it makes me really wonder about the socio-political atmosphere um, of Remnant because I don't know if child services are a thing in this world. I don't know if there was anybody he could have turned to to try to bring some justice to this kid. Like, I don't know if he could have gone to the police of whatever, you know, whatever town this was, whatever city it was. Because we don't, we don't actually know where it was. I think it was Atlas just based on the color scheme of the city. But because we never really get a name for the place, it could literally take place anywhere in Remnant. And I think that's purposeful. I think, that, <laughs> you know, um, to say that this is something that could have happened anywhere throughout the kingdom. So it makes me wonder if there are resources for people who are oppressed by the system. And I don't think there are. And that's really upsetting that like, if that's a fact of this world, that's super upsetting. I mean, we did kind of have a farm orphanage out in the boonies in which one of the children was purchased. So... Yeah. Set us up. <laughs> <laughs> but just looking at the impression that we have of Rhodes and that all of us were initially a favorable impression followed by, hang on a minute. <laughs> it's a public appearance. I feel like... Yeah. Well, I feel like this is the difference between seeing it as like a fairy tale character from a child's perspective and then being able to sit back and look at this as an adult. Because we're initially given, like, every time we see someone's backstory, every time we see something like this, it's this fairy tale idea. This is the Cinderella story. This is how she grew up. And, you know, we know it's going to be a tragedy because then you look at where she is and it's like, oh, things are bad. But you still have the hope that this prince will show up, that this person who's showing up and showing her compassion will help. So the first time you see it, you're like, there is this poor girl who has just been abused all of her life, and here is the one person showing her kindness, and that makes him such a good person. And then you step back, and you look at the same story as a goddamn adult, as someone who has had some life experiences and someone who has some different perspectives on the world and the ability to do some research. I'm, there are certainly situations where I need an adultier adult. Let's be real. <laughs> but you step back and you look at this as an adult and you go, he was an adult. 
he was a full-fledged huntsman. So again, I'm I'm not going to sit here and spitball age range, but I'm going to say early to mid twenties at the youngest. And then we had probably four to five years of development there. Oh, I, I pegged him as way older. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was in his late thirties. Yeah. That's what I'm saying at the youngest. It's one of those things where it's like, you could be anywhere from 20 to 60 and anime doesn't tell me shit. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, never trust an anime face they will never tell you how old they actually are (laughs) ruby is an anime fight me um yeah the 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 idea here is that he's an adult he's had these life experiences and you look at his conduct from an adult perspective and go you did not hold up your end of the fucking bargain there is a child in an abusive situation in physical harm here and you did next to nothing You came in and you played the hero, but you didn't do anything to actually help her situation. And then by giving her a weapon, like a goddamn idiot, he set up this this final act where, of course, Cinder has something nice and Cinder has something dangerous. And in the situation she's in, she's not allowed to have either of those things. But now she has something dangerous and she has the training to use it and she can fight back, so she will. So... Yeah. My God, what an idiot. I, I I don't... I can respect a man for showing kindness to someone who needs kindness. But that's the bare fucking minimum. And as a huntsman, and as an adult, and as a human being, in a situation like this, you are responsible for more than the bare fucking minimum. So yeah, I'm not real impressed with Rhodes. <laughs> The, um, I, yeah, I, I have to concur with all of that. I actually really do like that the, the sort of, as the situation escalated, like we, we get the scene where the two stepsisters report to the madam that like Cinder has a weapon and that she, she turns to go to like deal with the situation. I like that we cut away from that moment because that moment is kind of left a mystery as to how the situation escalates. It does, you know, we, at the end of the day, even though we can guess at how and why it escalated the way that it did, given how this situation is abusive at the end of the day, because we don't see what happened, we don't know how much of Cinder's actions were in self-defense and how much of it was she just hit her breaking point. And I kind of like that that's left to our own imagination because at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything. Her abusers are dead and the one person she thought that she could count on uh, basically turned on her. And not that I condone murder, like, but because again, we don't see how that situation escalated. We don't know the full extent of what happened. Um, what I do like is that when we cut back to this scene and she we see her murder her stepmother or adopted mother, um I love that when she turns to Rhodes and says, I don't have to run anymore and he tells her, you'll be running for the rest of your life. That is when the clock strikes midnight. That is when the spell 
is broken. And that is when Cinder comes to the exact same realization that Katie pointed out of, wait, you're an adult. You could have done something and you didn't. And now you're turning your back on me. Uh, That's not, (laughs) none of that's good. (laughs) Like Rhodes choosing to be her enemy in this moment is what, is what breaks the spell for Cinder. And that's where she stops. Yeah, that's where she stops looking at him like a kid in a fairy tale. And that's when she just sees him and probably the rest of the world as her enemy. Um, okay, so we've been talking about this for a while now. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on Cinder, on Rhodes, on... Um, her situation and what this means for the world of remnant as a whole uh because yeah i have lots and lots of questions (laughs) about the rest of the world now uh stacy final thoughts Uh, you know one thing that i think this whole flashback this whole puzzle piece slotting into place kind of laid out for me and actually kind of made me rethink the oh, Salem is just going to walk all over Cinder and Cinder thinks she's playing a game and she's not, is that this entire timeline for Cinder really showed to me that she is patient. She was willing to wait and train with Rhodes and all the scenes we saw with her and with him discussing you know waiting and waiting and then when she was 17 she'd be able to go on her own and she wouldn't need a parent's guidance or um, permission to join the academy that she was willing to wait and that she would have waited and I almost get the impression that the only reason that things escalated and turned so sour was because her hand was forced Otherwise, I think that Cinder has a lot of patience and maybe we've underestimated the amount of patience she's going through right now in Salem's court. I mean, I think that's a good point. I would argue almost that it's more of a tolerance for pain than it is patience (laughs) because we've we've seen her no, I know better. No, I need to take care of this. No, I'm going to do this. And her impatience is what fucks up plans. Fair. That's, uh, yeah. That's... Her, her, will- her ability to endure, maybe? Yes. More? Yeah, yes. that's dope. Yeah, I, I, I phrase things dramatically. Let's be real. Let's <laughs> be completely, you know, sky blue, water wet, Katie dramatic. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, a solid assessment of her character and honestly given what we've seen of the backstory and given what we saw today the the only two outcomes i see for cinder are either she turns on salem or she fucking dies like one or the other possibly one right after the other but those are the two big potential character beats i see for her especially after we get all of this in the backstory yeah, what I what I take away from this particular flashback is one, the world of Remnant is, if you'll pardon the pun, a lot more grim than we hey. you know than we initially anticipated it being. Like every time we get 
more information about how this world actually works. Like the darker it becomes, if that makes any sense. Um, when you really like, we we know that this world has like a criminal underbelly and that it's brutal and that there are literal monsters waiting around every corner, but like, it, it's a little different when that's when it's more grounded in reality and this particular bit of darkness feels like it's very very grounded um and so yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like the world of remnant is you know a lot like the original grim fairy tales it's dark and it's messed up (laughs) and i mean that in like i mean that in a good way if that makes any sense like i don't think this is bad storytelling it's just dark that's all um but the uh, the other thing is that I don't think I, I mentioned this earlier. I don't think it's an accident that we got Salem's backstory before we got Cinder's. Um, I feel like throughout most of Ruby, Cinder has always felt to me like she was a mini boss as opposed to the big bad. And I think that the reason they held off so long in terms of revealing her backstory was because she's not a mini boss. I think she's going to be a far more pivotal character than I ever gave her credit for in terms of like an actual arc. I I always just saw her as a mini boss, but I think by the time this story is done, she's going to prove to be more than that and i i am very anxious to not anxious but i am i am excited to see the choices that this character makes and how that ultimately will affect the plot and all of our characters moving forward so yeah that'll be fun yes <laughs> <laughs> just yes All right, Uh, as we close that particular chapter on the past and we look towards the future, before we move on with our next topic, I wanted to talk to you folks really quickly about iTunes. Folks, thank you so, so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and subscribe and leave a comment. We love hearing from you, and it helps us out immensely. Uh, It helps us... Um, become more searchable for people looking for Rooster Teeth related content. It very much brightens up our day when we uh, get to see the that you guys are enjoying the show that we're putting on. Now, we don't happen to have any new iTunes comments this week, but we do have a ton of social media shout outs on Twitter. So we wanted to say thank you so much to Shadow Angel on Twitter malachroma on twitter who not only sent us a really delightful uh picture of a gentleman wearing a we are all mercury (laughs) t-shirt um but malachroma also bought some merchandise from our t public and shared that on twitter so thank you so so much mal um we have mitch mento cliff morton chris half the battle ic ford on Twitter was thanking us for our shout outs from last week. So thank you so much. High five water slide. We also, we wanted to give a special shout out to Jade drummer girl, four, five, six on Twitter. Who's longtime friend of the show. We love you, Jade. Uh, because 
iTunes isn't always great about showing us stuff in the international iTunes store, um, reviews on the international iTunes store. And same, a lot of other podcast apps aren't really good at actually allowing us to see ratings and reviews. Uh, we we ask you guys take a screen cap of it and share with us on Twitter. And we have this one here from, from Jade. It means so much to us to hear. Uh, still love listening to you guys after all these years. It is the best to be able to hear all the theories and to be able to discuss them with you all. I just want you guys to know that you are the best and can make any day better. Thank you so, so much, Jade. It means so much to hear that. So thank you so, so much for taking that screen cap of that review. It means a lot. We love you. <laughs> we also, we get a lot of interaction from Shadow Angel, whom mm -hmm. we love hearing from. The one that's sticking out to me today is when you guys head to the Love Loft, your shadowy bartender, me, sends rounds of spicy love affair and love struck up for you guys to enjoy. Uh, I need you to tweet me those cocktail recipes like now. Please. If those are actual, I have no idea if those are actual cocktail names. And if they are, I need those recipes. And if they're not, I will make them up myself. It is the holiday season and we have a liquor cabinet. I will do it. Um, we also wanted to thank, uh, you know, Cam Griffin, again, longtime friend of the show, who's wonderful. Uh, Al McClellan, who's wonderful. We love you. Caitlin Geddes, again, you guys are wonderful. And uh, when we put up earlier this week that this episode was going to have to be delayed, we got nothing but uh, kindness and outpouring of just love, love, love from all you guys. Um, so thank you so much. There are more. <laughs> Hold on. Um, uh, Halcyon Traveler, also a longtime friend of the show. The Kaito Dan, we Dan, thank you so much. We love you, man. Uh, Andrew Fedge, Asimov95, Jester's Chessboard, Chrysosaurus, Brandon Dodge, T and Vines, and Sam M all on Twitter. Thank you guys. We we can't say thank you enough for all of the love and support that you guys showed us after we made that post. It it really means a lot. And we know the holidays are hard on a lot of people, so it means a lot that you guys kind of gave us this outpouring of love. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, you know, again, there. If you aren't doing so already, you can interact with us on Twitter at the Rooster Team. We have, and we also have a Discord. And the the again, the outpouring of love that we got on our Discord channel was also just very moving and very sweet. Uh, it means a lot. So you can join that Discord in the um, link in the description below. And, you know, head on over to our Tee Public if you want to get yourself some of that merch that Malachroma was able to get. Um, you know, the, the holidays are coming up. There are a ton of sales going on on Tee Public. Um, but if you're looking for other ways to support the show, we also have a sponsor this week. We do. Our sponsor, as always, is Fred He Bakes. He does cookies. They are incredible. You should absolutely obtain some. Um, I think at this point, it's probably going to be a little too late for the shipping date for most people. So if you're LA local, you might still be able to do pickup. But otherwise, they make great after Christmas cookies, too. They make great New Year's cookies. They make great just cookies, you guys. Just fantastic cookies. The flagship cookie is called the Brown Sugar Buddy. It is like a cross between a ginger snap and a spice cookie and a molasses cookie. It is chewy. It is wonderful. They don't last very long in our house because I order a dozen and then the next day I'm like, where the hell are my cookies? And then I remember, I remember the previous day when I had cookies. There's a reason they don't last. They're wonderful. 
If you want more fall flavors with your brown sugar buddy, they do maple brown sugar buddies, which are like the brown sugar buddies, but more fall and more holiday and unbelievably good when dipped into your hot drink of choice. If you are not a spice cookie sort of person, then you want to go with the big chip buddies. They are chocolate chip cookies. They are huge. They are huge. They are fluffy. They're a little bit harder to, dri to dip into your hot drink of choice because of their size. But if you have a big enough mug and enough determination, you can manage it. Everything is made fresh to order. They are never frozen. They are made in small batches and you cannot find them in stores. You can only find them at fredhebakes.com. That's three words, fredhebakes.com. And use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. fredhebakes.com, coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM. Do the thing. Treat yourself. You deserve it. Again, we can't thank you guys enough for all of the various ways that you support us. You know, again, just thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are so wonderful. You guys are the best. We love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's get back to the show. So let's get back to the present, not the future, but the present, <laughs> which is uh, not as, uh, it's not as cool as going back to the future, but you know, it is what it is. Instead of having hoverboards, we have flying whales. Wait, 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 shit. <laughs> so Cinder wakes up back in the present. And even though Emerald is there to sort of comfort her, uh, you know, Cinder's not super thrilled to be back uh, on in, in the whale ship. She's not really super thrilled about that. And even worse, Mercury, and that's right, guys, we actually mean Mercury <laughs> when we say it this time. Real, actual, 100% douchebag Mercury. <laughs> Except no substitutes. He's back, and he's here to say, you're not my supervisor! <laughs> So, yeah, we, we get this moment of the three of them who, you know, it's been a long time since that first glimpse of this particular trio at the end of volume one of Ruby. And the dynamic has changed significantly since the last, like, since that point, And even since the last time we saw the three of them together, the dynamic has changed significantly. So what did we think of this moment? Where Mercury is basically lording his new position uh, in Salem's hierarchy in front of Cinder. What did we think of that? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. God, Mercury's just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really want to see that little shit get what's coming to him, and I just hope it's satisfying. <laughs> this is where I miss having our soundboard so we could just play that clip of Nora going, We'll break his leg! We should break his legs. We should actually break his legs for real this time. I approve of this message. <laughs> Pretty sure they're still real above the knee. It's fine. Jeez. That's where the bones are. <laughs> Look, Cinder wouldn't think twice. <laughs> I think... I think the thing that really struck me about uh, this particular scene was the look 
on Cinder's face when he said, I don't report to you anymore. Um, Salem's got plans for me because, you know, at that point, she had just given the two of them an order to get out and leave her alone and that she'd let them know when and where she needed them. And he's like, uh, yeah, no, that's not how this works anymore. And it's it's remarkable to see the like the literal fire go out of her eyes and just you know again shout out to the animators in this episode because the look on her face was it it spoke to all of that pain and heartbreak that we just saw in her backstory and that feeling of helplessness like it was it was immediate like the the second this illusion of power that she had over other people was gone you could see just how scared and alone she felt in that moment knowing that one of the ways that she exerts control over her own life is by exhibit you know exuding power over other people and being robbed of that like she goes right back to feeling like that scared and helpless little girl again. I like it was one of those things where, as Katie mentioned, you know, the cycle of abuse, um, you know, that's how she was coping with it was she wanted to exhibit power over other people in order to feel in control and seeing her robbed of that in this moment. I think it really reinforced to her that that her her sense of control was in fact an illusion. Katie, what did you think? Did anyone not see this coming? <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. Mercury telegraphed this. I legitimately don't remember if it was last season or the season before that. It's been a chunk of time since we've actually seen him to the point where we started hallucinating that he is other people and that other people are him. We are all Mercury. Uh now that we've stopped referring to Mercury as the singularity, now that he's back. But the last time that we had any really good scenes with him that weren't him looking on in abject horror as we saw winged monkeys be created, he had that talk with Emerald about power and their roles in things and what Salem wanted to do. And he pretty much laid out that, yeah, he was in it to win it with Salem because the hell else is he going to do? And I, I I might be misremembering that, but as I remember, those were the broad strokes of that conversation. So then seeing Cinder get kicked in the face a couple of times because lol hubris, not surprised that he went, you know, maybe I'll just throw in with Salem directly. Just just not not worry about the go-between anymore. No more middle management. Just, just going to do this directly. It'll be fine. So... Not in any capacity surprised that he's the one to do this and that he's the one to kind of go for the upgrade, as it were. Sucks for Cinder, but that's kind of her life. Well, and you know that's why Salem agreed to it super readily, right? Like she was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh I'm yeah. gonna take, I'm gonna take her subordinate and elevate him to the same position she is." Oh, that'll, yeah. That's one way to uh, really knock Cinder down again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not here at the moment, but Mark made a prediction fairly early on in this season that Mercury was actually going to be a pivotal player in the grand scheme of things because of his position in the opening. 
um, that he actually may very well be a force to be reckoned with um, being elevated by Salem in her little hierarchy. What I, 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 again, this was definitely something we saw coming because we know that Mercury had no illusions about what he meant to Cinder. Like, he knew that she didn't actually care about him. Um, And he was just in it because they happened to show up when he was at a crossroads in his life and he had nothing better to do, (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Um, So he was just in it to cause some chaos and destruction. Um, But ultimately, you know, again, knew that Cinder didn't care about what happened to him. Emerald obviously didn't feel the same. Emerald, eh, Emerald cares about Cinder a lot And it's one of those things where I think Mercury being able to throw this in her face and show Cinder that, like, to maybe give Cinder a sense of self-awareness, I do think that this character is going to rethink her choices a little bit. Maybe not necessarily join the boys and girls or anything like that. But I think definitely she's reassessing her loyalty to Salem for sure. And whether or not this is going to be anything beneficial for Emerald, uh, that has yet to be seen. But it's, it's just one of those things where I think him actually being able to say, yeah, I don't work for you anymore. I think that is going to help Cinder reassess her situation a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we have one other beat to hit, um, before we get to like the throne room scene, we have this moment between Ozpin and Oscar, actually, they've, they've got some downtime before <laughs> in between <laughs> beatings. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're in between sessions and that's when we get this conversation between Oz and Oscar. And something I really liked about this sequence is that um, the camera angle changed between when we hear Oz inside of Oscar's head and when um, Oscar would speak out loud. And when they kind of came together with the same thought, the camera was straight on. Uh, I really liked that little detail. But basically, they come to the conclusion of like, hey, maybe what we can do, given our current situation, is sabotage Salem from the inside in the same way that she infiltrates governments and systems and dismantles them. What did we think of this bit with Oscar and Oz? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. Look, I love a good Yu-Gi-Oh scene as much as anyone else, all right? Like, stuff like this, the conversation between two people in the same body, this shit is my jam. I loved it. I loved it. And also, I loved it. Stacy, how about you? I also noted, kind of, there was a very distinct Oscar Oz pin. And I like that we're still maintaining their two very distinct personalities, uh, but we are starting to see that overlap in ideology and seeing where they do come together and have synergy. Yeah. 
yeah, it was, it's one of those things where, again, I'm concerned about what, like, Oscar's personality getting overtaken, but at the same time, uh, it's one of those things where his particular situation allows him a perspective in which he can be wise beyond his years. So, yeah, I, I worry for the boy for multiple reasons, but... I also like how proactive he is. I like that he's, you know, outside of Oz's commentary, he's smart about this situation. He knows that um, he oddly, you know, is acting very, very, he's being very proactive and very smart about the situation that he's currently in. So I liked that. Um, And also the idea that like, okay, guys, I know we're in the love loft. I know this is a safe space, but I did want to tiptoe into conspiracy corner for a little bit. Um, Careful of all the new green yarn. It's everywhere. (laughs) I'm bringing the pillows. I hope that's okay. Um, Okay. So Hazel comes back into the room and he and Ozpin have kind of what I think is probably a long overdue discussion. Um, For one, Hazel throws the fact that Oz has been absent during during basically he's torturing Oscar and he manages to twist it in his own mind as to being Ozpin's fault he's like how dare you you coward like you allowed that boy to suffer and it's like um you're the one curb stomping the child what are you talking about um so it's very Hazel's the mental gymnastics that Hazel has to do to justify his actions are very interesting, um, just first and foremost. But second of all, we get the perspective of Salem can't be beat. He views Salem as a force of nature, like a tornado or an earthquake that he can't fight, um, that she is an inevitability. Whereas Ospin is this monster that sends children to their deaths because they're fighting a war in which they cannot win, which he's not exactly wrong because as we've talked about at length on this podcast, Salem can't be killed, but just because she can't be killed doesn't mean she can't be beaten as Ruby so eloquently put it in the last episode. But it's so it's interesting to see, again, the mental gymnastics that Hazel has to go through in order to justify his allegiance to her. What I wanted to propose to you guys. So Hazel is based off of the Hansel and Gretel uh, fairy tale, correct? As far as I know, maybe. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Get a confirmation? I I believe so. Okay. Who was the character in that story that attempted to kill the two of them? It was the witch, right? We don't know how Hazel and Salem came to know one another. I would like to propose that Salem was directly responsible for Hazel's sister's death. I think... That, like, I don't think it's an accident that his sister got killed on a training mission and that 
Salem just so happened to come across him or that he just happened to stumble across just a plan that she was like enacting. I don't know. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two of them met. Do we think it's possible that Salem actually murdered his sister intentionally? Thoughts? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Is this a question? Yeah, absolutely. Is this a question? (laughs) How is important? Yes. Yes. We already know that she was directly, as in most likely personally there, involved in getting Tyrion out of his prison transport and just basically spiriting him away. Why wouldn't she be involved in this? Why wouldn't she be handpicking her generals to have the maximum amount and type of allegiance to her? Like, why would she not do this? It's the smart way to do things. So, yeah, I can totally see eeny, meeny, miny, that one. That one's a sister? Great. So he's going to hate Oz. And he has this crazy-ass semblance that actually works really, really well with everything I'm trying to do. And uh, I'm just going to keep him. I'm just going to keep him. It'll be great. So, yeah, I'm in it to win it for this one. We <laughs> pin that sucker up there. Stacy, how about you? wholeheartedly agree uh i really think the only thing i have to add to katie's point is that we see the way that she has cinder's number she knows exactly how to wind her up and keep her like curled around her finger we know she knows exactly how to handle Tyrion, exactly how to keep him just relentlessly loyal to a fault and i have no doubt that she also knew exactly what would get Hazel on her side and what would keep him. Yeah, we saw it twice this episode. We've seen... I, <laughs> we saw it once at this point, at the end of this conversation they have, where it looks like Oz is about to hit home. It looks like we're going to have a turning point. It looks like we're going to get through to Hazel. And at that second, Salem shows up like... Oh, Oz, you have perfect timing. And I'm like, bitch, you were waiting outside the door. <laughs> Salem. Just waiting. Oh, yeah. You were. And she does the same thing. To, I'm going to jump points on this for a minute. Now I've got some parallelism here. She does the same damn thing to Cinder because we as the audience start to see the parallels here and they show us when she's torturing Cinder for the, oh, you failed, you did this. She's basically that arm is just another dust shock collar. And we see it flashing back and forth to scenes of her with the shock collar versus her with the arm. And that's the point also where the music pulls in that melody from that No One Ever Loved You little song that we had before. And that, I think, would have been Cinder's turning point had Salem approached it a different way, had it continued to be, you failed me, you're staying here, had it continued to be blame, had it continued to be, you're wrong. But Salem knew the exact right point to walk it back and to say, oh, it's all my fault. You've been working so hard for everything and you've always relentlessly pursued what you wanted and I've just been holding you back. So tell you what, I'm going to set my hound to find him and we're going to try and find Penny's location and regardless, 
you're going to have the Winter Maiden's powers, and I'll have my staff. So either way, we win. So, uh, yeah. And that, I think, like, had Salem kept going in the way that we would have expected anyone else in her position to keep going, I think that would have been the cinder breaking point. I think she would have grabbed Emerald and Neo. I almost said Emerald and Mercury because <laughs> I was just used to that at that point. But no, Mercury has jumped that ship. She would have grabbed Emerald and Neo, gotten on the dropship, and been like, fuck you, we're doing things our own way. So Salem has had so much experience in manipulating people to get them to do what she wants. And we see it twice this episode to great effect. So did she probably have Hazel's sister killed so she could recruit him? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I buy that. Stacy, did I hope you... you buy it. You proposed the theory. <laughs> <laughs> that was so long ago. Let's just say. Who has time for things like that? Stacy, do you have any other thoughts on that particular theory? Or if we want to switch gears, this particular um, I guess throne room scene. I I would like to put are, are we back in the love lap? Yes, oh, we, we, can, we can step out of Conspiracy Corner, and um, I'm going to grab a drink, and yes, back to the Love Loft. Okay, because Neo and Emerald were separated from everybody else, like, on the other side of Salem, and it's, it's obviously a sign. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but... Obviously. Go on. <laughs> I mean, Elaborate. They, they've got one foot out the door, they're going to run away together, and everything's going to be better for them. Do you Question think mark. they will attempt to take Cinder with them? I don't I don't know. I think that Neo might have had Cinder given her more of a reason to care about her. Mm. Honestly, I Neo might take Emerald and Cinder if she needs them. Otherwise, she'll probably leave them both. Legit. Yeah, I I, I thought it was interesting that, yeah, that we had the line of people who were kneeling before Salem and then Emerald and Neo, even though they were on their knees, they weren't bowing to her. They're, for, they're not in the line with everybody else. They're off to the side together. And, yeah, they are the only ones out of everybody in the room who don't have their heads bowed to her. So I think that's interesting. I... I think it's safe to say that out of everyone here, their priorities are different <laughs> and their allegiance is not to Salem. Um, what I do find interesting about this particular moment is that after Salem is like, oh, yep, you're going to get your powers. I'm going to have my staff. It's going to be all good. It's gravy train from here on out. Um, Oscar chimes in with like, or was it Oscar or Ozpin? I guess it was Ozpin, right? I think so. Probably. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it was Ozpin uh, interjecting and saying, you're only going to help her, you know, basically destroy everything. And as Hazel lifts him up, you know, he and Salem are face to face as she tells him, you're too late. And this is one of those things where I, much like the earlier scene with Ozpin and Oscar, I really appreciate the visual storytelling 
with the camera movements and the blocking. Because in this moment, the camera zooms in and we have Ozpin on one side of the frame, Salem on the other side, and smack dab in the middle is Cinder in the background. I really, really like that. And it's that moment more than anything else in the rest of the episode that makes me go, Cinder's choices as this volume progresses are going to alter the course of things more than I ever anticipated that they would, if that makes any sense at all. Like I said. It do. It (laughs) do. I like that. So... I, you know, as much as I I would like to just sit here in the love loft and go, yeah, Neo and Emerald, that's, you know, let's let's just talk shipping with them, uh, you know, from for now until the end of the episode. (laughs) Um, As much as I would like to do that uh, again, I it's not a coincidence that again, that this would this episode, this entire episode was all about Cinder and her story and how that story ends. It like, it's still up for debate. You know, Cinderella got a happy ending. I don't think Cinder will necessarily, nor do I necessarily think that she deserves one, but I think her choices from here on out are going to be different. And who knows, maybe by the time everything is said and done, she will deserve a happy ending. Well, here's the thing. Characters get backstory in volumes when they are important and when they and their backstory are big movers and shakers in what is to come. We got Ren's backstory when we ran into the Nuklevi. <laughs> you know, say hi to Jim and Randall for me in hell, I guess. So, yeah, I'd say that's a very safe bet to make, especially since we got it this early in the season we still have the back half that's going to drop in february yeah that's going to be a lot of time to speculate (laughs) (laughs) hey can i propose another potential connection yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) quit asking just do it (laughs) just do it already okay um so you know how earlier in this volume nora out of all of uh, our characters on Team Rainbow was sitting here and wondering who she is without, you know, the the person that meant the most to her in her life. You know, who is she without Ren? And she wanted to know who she is. We know for a fact that Nora also came from very humble means. Um, and that manifested in a lot of ways in the last volume because she was constantly advocating for the people of Mantle. I'm wondering, and, and, you know, there was a specific focus earlier this volume on Nora going, who am I? Who do I want to be? I'm wondering if a character, you know, with a similar background going, I'm at a crossroads, who do I want to be? I'm wondering if they're not going to have any screen time together. And I don't necessarily mean that in a shipping way. I mean that in a, these are two characters who come from similar means. I'm I'm just, I'm wondering if there's, again, if maybe this isn't a coincidence, if it's not, if it's not a coincidence that we're getting Cinder's backstory at the same time that 
Nora is sitting here going, who am I? What do I want to do with my life moving forward? I don't know. Anyway, any any thoughts on that? Any uh, I, I threw that out there. Um, this is one of those things where I'm throwing it at the wall to see if anything sticks. <laughs> Anybody? I'm picking that up, walking it downstairs, shoving it on the conspiracy board, <laughs> wrapping some red yarn around it this time, and then coming back up the stairs with the popcorn, which is now done. Yay! I'll make it a green star and put it on top. <laughs> Mark's going to come back and be like, what the f- Ooh. <laughs> so okay and then he's going to take another little piece of yarn and attach it to the turbo teen star (laughs) everything attaches to that star that is the focal point of the conspiracy board and yet it attaches to nothing (laughs) it is everything and it is nothing it is turbo teen oh my god you just keep trying to attach strings and none of them stick it's just devastating just because i don't like it doesn't mean i'm not gonna pick up the slack for him when he's not able to be here we love you mark very much i i'm sad to say i don't recall where in our discord it it was um but someone in our discord brought up the the point that uh turning into a car would have probably been Mercury's semblance had it not been stolen from him. So Mercury might very well have been Turbo Team. You know what? Now I understand why he was so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go fast. (laughs) I am just forever grateful to, I believe it was Cam who made me that meme of Kermit and Cookie Monster going, no, it is not Turbo (laughs) Team. Thank you. I saved that one. For very specific use. Uh, Okay, so we still have one more beat that we have to hit before we wrap this episode up. Do we have any final thoughts on um, Salem, Hazel, Ozpin, Cinder, Neo, Emerald, that whole whole storyline? Do we have any final thoughts on that before we uh, switch gears and wrap it up for the night? Katie, final thoughts. It's mostly just kind of loud harpy shrieking, <laughs> you know, just that awful ear shattering scream that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the wavelength that I'm on right now. That's fine. <laughs> How about you, Stacy? Any, any final thoughts on, uh, this, this plot line? Things are bad. Things are bad. Things are going to get worse. <laughs> Things are bad. <laughs> One more hot toddy coming up. <laughs> Please. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, again, I, I'm loving this. It's dark. Uh, it's, uh, but all in all, it's really good. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're gonna die. <laughs> you said I'm loving this and I, I couldn't resist. Accurate and true. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that sums it up. Okay. <laughs> So the final the final beat that we get for this episode is we have Winter and the Aesops going to retrieve Penny. And as they're flying across, you know, we get some insight into where each of the Aesops are at. And I think I kind of have to agree with Winter, uh, Winter's frustration that it, at the very minimum, one fourth of the remaining Aesops just views Penny as a literal piece of technology, a.k.a. junk, I think is how she was referred to and i'm not on board with that and i think it upsets winter as well 
Um, but they come across uh, a, a radio signal in which they hear Jean and company um, warning about this massive, uh, as I put it, I think in our last podcast, conga line of body horror that's heading straight <laughs> to Mantle. And so they, they, <laughs> they pull over and they, you know, it's Yang and Ren and Jean and they come face to face with the Aesops and it's more of the same. It's more of like you dang kids. Like, I can't believe you're being so selfish in this scenario. And, you know, Yang and Ren and Jean being like, uh, guys, there is a huge problem. And the Aesops refuse to listen until the problem literally explodes out of the ground. Boy, if that ain't a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm sure it was only literal. Come on now. Yeah, it's it's, it's literally, literally people fighting about smaller things while the fucking world ends behind them. Oh, God, this is about global warming, isn't it? Global warming, send tweet. She's not a force of nature. She can be fought. We just have to get our asses in gear and, you know, topple some corporations. It's fine. Anyway, <laughs> I appreciated that we had this. I appreciated that we had these. I've taken over. Is this okay? Go for it. Go cool. For it. I get to sit back <laughs> Woo! and enjoy my hot potty. I appreciated that we had this. And I appreciated that we had just this bit of hashtag priorities with them landing by a river of grim and still going where's penny like guys there's a literal river of grim can you not maybe add that close to the top of your to-do list i i think it's worth it so i i still like seeing where our asops are at even though i am mad as fuck at elm right now just so mad at her for the whole broken scrap bit and this is why i hate technology and it's just like honey what do you think your hammer's made of so yeah it's uh it's good to know where we stand for this even though it comes with knowing that we're not really standing in a great place stacy how about you please someone needs to rip the blinders off of all of the asops <laughs> immediately and quickly but it's fine. They, they're just down for the world to end as long as they get Penny, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. As long as they finish following their orders, that's all that matters. Priorities. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I get where their headspace, like, is and where their priorities are, but I don't get it. <laughs> I do not relate. <laughs> and it's, it's very frustrating for characters that you, like have the potential to be very cool and very powerful and very likable. And it's yeah. just so frustrating. You just want to shake them until the idiocy falls out. Right. It's an elm tree, right? Can we shake all of the... <laughs> I mean, I think she'd probably rattle us both pretty good before we even got started, but... Someone has to try. Yeah. It, it, it yeah and i think part of this is they're all still pretty hecked up because the world is ending you don't really get training for a giant whale in the sky and their leader was just murdered 
and there's no there's no really good solutions for anything. Their their leader was murdered. Their commanding officer is very obviously having some form of breakdown. Like nothing is good right now. And for the most part, they have chosen to fall back on, all right, we're military, we follow orders, we're going to do that. That's not necessarily the best coping mechanism, but that's the thing about coping mechanisms. They don't have to be great, they just have to work. I just think that it's very interesting that throughout this episode, we can see Cinder doing the mental math and reassessing her priorities, um, but the Aesops seem to be incapable of that until the world literally like blows apart. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we get this, like, not only do we get a river of Grimm, we get a geyser of Grimm and this is able to take out Atlas's defense system. And so as, as Stacy pointed out at the beginning of the episode, Monstra flies through the air and lands right on top of Atlas and opens its mouth and all these Grimm just come out. So now Atlas is completely defenseless as to what's to come. And yeah, and it's right there smack dab in the center of basically at the forefront of what's going to be Salem's assault. And uh guys, not to not to worry anybody, but the next episode is called War. <laughs> oh. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, that is where we leave this episode. Do we have any final thoughts on what we think is going to happen next or where we just thoughts on this episode uh overall as a whole? Stacy, let's start with you. You know, I don't know when I jumped aboard the Give Whitley a Chance crew, um, <laughs> but for some reason, I really want, like, just a scene at the manor where they're all kind of freaking out and, like, Ruby's not quite sure, like, they're trying to figure out how to move and Whitley is the one to be like, you were just broadcasting worldwide with this message of hope, do something, and, like, shakes them out of it. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. I just maybe we give Whitley a chance. I kind of love give Whitley a chance. I, I worry about the repercussions of that one, but I kind of love that. I don't know. We we just saw like what happened to Cinder, who was forgotten and horribly abused, and let's let's not let the same thing happen and make Whitley into his father. Legit. I I spent a chunk of time when Monstra was on approach for her landing screaming, fire the whale, fire the whale. So I legit thought that it had like a laser beam or something. <laughs> so obviously I am here for the whole great googly moogly, it's all gone to shit experience. Um, it's, <laughs> I don't remember if it was on this podcast or in our videos where I was saying, it hurt me, I like it. But that's kind of where we are right now. With the whole, oh, this is going to cause me so much pain. I need to know what happens next. Because it's going to be an unmitigated disaster. And it's going to be our mid-season finale when Ruby goes on break for a month. So, um, I'm expecting shit to get really, really bad next episode. And it's terrible. But I'm here for it. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I really appreciated that quick shot to the control room 
uh, and we get to see the look on Ironwood's face as the shield goes down. And no joke, I I hope that like a second after we cut away from that, he turns to to other people in the control room and goes, "This is all your fault, Bill." (laughs) You yelled that every time we watched the episode. (laughs) It was great. Honestly, Wait. that does seem like something Ironwood would do at this point. Anyone I but think, himself, so why not it, Bill? If it's not him, I'm sure somebody in the office yelled that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone all stood up in unison and screamed it, and poor Bill just didn't know what was coming. Obviously, we only have the most serious takes on the Grim Apocalypse. <laughs> um, very serious. But for real, I, I think... You know, as as much as I'm concerned about the well-being of um, Ruby and the rest of our team, especially given that Nora is still down for the count, I'm very concerned about all of them. But I also think it's very interesting that we have an entire episode very much, de- you know, it's, it's stuff that's been in the background of Ruby from the get-go, too. But we have an entire episode about how people from the upper class oppress people from the lower classes. And here we have Atlas, the symbol of all of that opulence and social stratification, uh, being the center of attack. And so in some ways, I'm like... This like this is going to be very interesting. Like I I know that Salem's whole point is that she wants to enact you know fear and vengeance and chaos all throughout the world as she reassembles the as she gets all her hands on all the relics and everything like that. But it's also very interesting that like the center of like the kingdom of Atlas, um, the place where so much of this political and financial corruption. Like, we've been talking for multiple seasons about how Atlas is going to fall, but I I always viewed that as, like, a very literal, yeah, it's going to fall out of the sky. But no, it's, it's not just that. It's this symbol of these corrupt political and financial institutions is going to fall as well. And I can't help but think like oh that's going to have some serious ramifications for this world um and depending on how things shake out you know through the rest for you know for the rest of this volume i don't necessarily like even if atlas doesn't like fall in, in like the the literal sense of like crashing to the ground which it definitely will I think it should <laughs> metaphorically fall in the same way that we see the the Schnee family crest shatter in the opening. I think that symbolizes the destruction of the Schnee corporation as opposed to the destruction of their actual family. I'm hoping that <laughs> that Atlas falling is going to be a metaphor so that the world can change for the better. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so you want the proletariat to rise up and seize the means of production. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, this is, devastating and scary and yeah i can't wait for the next one (laughs) um 
I, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, be sure to follow our co-host, Mark Donica, at Mark B. Donica. Be sure to check out all of his projects. Um, follow him on Twitter. Check out his podcast, Party of Two. He's wonderful and great. Stacy, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? I'm Stacy Shuttleworth. You can go to Twitter or Instagram at Stacy Shuttles if you want to keep up with me. I'll be honest, I don't have too much going on right now. I am here on the Ruby podcast and I'm up in the love loft and <laughs> making hot toddies. Happy holidays. <laughs> here is where we will stay. <laughs> I will Kate. make my stand here. Right up until I drag you into the Overwatch winter event with me and we play oh. Freeze and Thaw Tag. Well, I will. I will go gladly there. Hell yeah. All right, I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to Ruby properties and also other things, they live on that YouTube channel. I am also part of a podcast called On The Point. It is an Overwatch and Overwatch League podcast. We are currently on hiatus because League is on hiatus, but I have been watching the Contenders Gauntlet this week and y'all, it's been nuts. It's been a lot of fun. But it's been nuts. Good times all around. And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where Katie and I talk about horror things. And um, I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't, and we talk about it. Be sure to follow the whole team at The Rooster Team. Join our Discord. Uh, buy our merchandise on TeePublic. If you want to buy shirts of the silly things that we say, go check those out. And uh, we be sure to uh, support our sponsor as well, FredHeBakes.com. And we have one final announcement before we wrap it up for the night. As always, we end with the important things. Wear a mask anytime you leave the house. Doesn't matter if you're just walking your dog or picking up the mail or just stepping outside for a breath of fresh air. Wear a mask. Because even if you don't think you're going to be around other people, you cannot account for other people's decisions and you cannot account for other people's movements, but you can account for your own. Wearing a mask protects you a little bit and it protects other people a lot. And that is the point. So wear a mask. Be kind to your essential workers. They don't get the choice to stay home. Be kind to your postal people. We know the post office is ridiculously backed up this year and things are going to be late and that's okay because things are wild right now. But be kind to your essential workers. They are doing a rough job. Black lives matter. Black LGBTQIA lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Black lives matter. That has not changed. That is not going to change. Black Lives Matter. Thank you for voting. Thank you for voting. Thank you for voting. Thank you for voting. If you're in Georgia, we're going to need you to do it again in the runoff election, so please do that. But also, thank you for voting. Seriously, wear a mask. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. They sell really cute masks. You can make them fashion accessories. They're wonderful. Wear a mask. Stay inside. Take care of yourself. And take care of each other, because that is the only way we are going to get through this. And remember, we love you. Thank you guys so, so much again for just generally speaking everything. Thank you so much for all of the support. And thank you so, so much for listening. This has been Ruby Redux. And now it's time to say goodbye.